Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay. Okay, okay, if we'd like to take our seats. We're going to start and... uh, We're full of technology this morning because we're going to start with another, uh, another PowerPoint. But I'll just give a very brief, very brief introduction to it. We're, we're beginning a series today in the book of Habakkuk called The Journey of Faith in a Sovereign God. And this morning we're asking this question which comes up right at the beginning of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is God, why do you tolerate evil? Why do you tolerate evil? And uh, it's a massive question for us, and and I'm going to unpack it a little bit. uh, But before I do that, we're just going to see a video of just some sort of, I suppose, headlines. Not video, it's a PowerPoint, really, with some music. Some some headlines of of, um, stuff that's going on in our world today. So let's watch this. Okay, let's pray. Father, it's uh, good to come together as the church. And yet, God, it's also worth reminding ourselves of the world in which we live. And I'm asking, O oh God, that you would help us as we look at this subject, Lord, that we want to honour you in our response. We want to be Christian. Or we don't just want to... Uh, respond in any old way we recognize that you have a way so i pray you would help us that you would be with us i pray you'd help me in jesus name amen the world in which we live just reading from the beginning of habakkuk chapter one verses one to four The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk as a book was written hundreds of years before the the birth of Jesus, before the New Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. So the last 12 books of the Old Testament are the minor prophets and Habakkuk is one of them. Um, And so you've got this little book in the middle of these other little books in the Bible, um, and yet its relevance cannot be understated. Because although we might not use these words, all of us probably have said, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Or I cry out to you, but you don't save. Why do I have to look at injustice? Why should I turn on my TV every night when I come in from work and I have to look at injustice? 
I have to look at sin. I have to look at suffering. Why? Why, oh God, do you appear to tolerate wrong? Why? Destruction and violence, they're before me. Strife and conflict. The law seems to be paralysed. Because there's international law, you know that. There are laws that are meant to govern how uh, countries relate to one another. But the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. So Habakkuk writes these words um, all that time ago, over two and a half thousand years ago, and yet they remain relevant. And in very, in, you know, very short, they remain relevant because God is relevant and they remain relevant because human beings aren't, this, aren't any different now to they were then. Yeah? Even though we've had the cross, we've had Jesus come, we as human beings are no different now to we were then. And so Habakkuk goes on this journey, I've called it the journey of faith, where he begins with this cry out. He begins with this sort of articulating, God, why, why aren't you doing something? And if you get to the end of the book, he ends up singing this. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there be no fruit on the vine, though the olive doesn't bear its fruit, I will praise the Lord. Now, you don't get there just by turning to the end of the book. You haven't made the journey. It's a journey that Habakkuk goes on. And I thank God for this book and that he went on that journey because we need to go on this journey. We need to go on the journey. So when we ask the question, why, God, do you tolerate wrong? We don't respond in exactly the same way as everybody else. We don't respond as though we weren't Christian. And we don't respond with our head in the sand and try and make out that head in the sand and try and make out that life and everything is all, all okay. So over the next few weeks, we are going to look at this book of Habakkuk. And it divides neatly. I think we're going to do four or five weeks on it. Why do you tolerate wrong or evil this week? Next week, we, we, God responds with watch and be utterly amazed. And then Habakkuk's response to that is why do you tolerate the treacherous? And we'll look at that. And then uh, very famous words, which we know from the New Testament, but they originate in Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. God points him somewhere. And then the final one, though the fig tree doesn't blossom. How do I get there? How do I get to the point where that's how I respond to the evil and suffering I see in the world? So Habakkuk lived in a time of uh, upheaval, national upheaval in Judah, Israel. Um, the, the, the people of Israel had already split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ten tribes made up the northern kingdom. They were called Israel and they were already uh, in captivity to, to Babylon or the Assyrians. I, I can't remember which. The, the, the two southern kingdoms that made up the, uh, the tribe of Judah were still free. And Habakkuk is part of that southern kingdom. Um, uh, he's, a, he's a temple worshipper, the Bible says, and a prophet. And it's into that context that God speaks to him. And unlike all the other prophets, Habakkuk isn't, isn't a prophetic message in that sense for Israel. It's a conversation. The book of Habakkuk is a conversation between God and the prophet. And the, and the prophet is asking God, he's looking at the world around him and he's saying, 
God, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. And you don't seem to be doing anything. Just put your hands up if you've ever thought that kind of thing. Just, just be honest. You've ever thought, God, why? Yeah, so, so most of us. Put your hands up if you've never thought that. But maybe you've never thought that. Yeah? But most of us, even if you're not a Christian, you think that kind of thing. Why, why, why is this happening? Why is there all this injustice in the world? And, and uh, the, the time in which Habakkuk lives, it's, uh, the kingdom is ruled by a guy called Jehoiakim, who's not a great king. There had been a good king just before, Josiah. And Josiah had tried and made some good reforms. And then, and then his father and fathers before him hadn't been great. And then he dies and his son isn't great. Yeah? So, so Habakkuk sort of lives in a time when Jehoiakim, it says, paid Pharaoh the silver and gold he demanded. In order to do so, he taxed the land and he exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. So Jehoiakim was corrupt. Yeah? He was a corrupt king. And he, he led in a corrupt way. And it says, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors did. So Habakkuk lives in this time of injustice, of corruption, extortion. And in some ways, he's absolutely powerless to do anything about it. You don't see him thinking to himself, OK, I've got all this injustice. I'm going I'm to set up a group to help He doesn't do anything. He doesn't know what to do. All he does is he comes to God. That's why he prays and he questions. I ask for help and you don't listen. I cry out violence and you don't save. Why do you allow me to look upon injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? What's eating away at Habakkuk is this. God doesn't seem to engage in a world where there are problems. God doesn't seem to be interested. He doesn't seem to do anything. And he can't help but wonder, why does God not do anything in the nation? We're having all these problems. Why doesn't he answer my prayers? Why does he seem to allow injustice and violence and corruption to reign? Why? So what's actually going on in Judah at that time? There's injustice and there's wrongful suffering. Sometimes there's suffering. Sometimes your suffering is your own fault let's be honest sometimes I do stuff that brings about suffering for me but sometimes the suffering that I endure is because of someone else and some of us we are more affected by the suffering of others than we even are affected by our own suffering yeah I'm more affected by you know you're watching that video and you're or you're watching that those pictures and you're seeing those children and you're thinking god how, how does that happen how, what who's Who's out for those kids? Who's looking out for them? I mean, one of the stories that really has gripped me is that um, it's only come out recently, those, um, those 1,600 kids in Rotherham, just in the north, that have been uh, sexually abused and misused. And that's bad enough, and the numbers are bad enough. And then you hear that the authorities were too frightened to help. They didn't feel they could help. They felt a bit sort of paralysed. And you think... Gosh, what, what would that be like? What if that was my daughters? What if they got caught up in that kind of thing? And so, he's, and so, and so there's injustice and there's wrongful suffering. There's destruction and there's violence which wrecks havoc 
on community. You need to imagine a situation where, where relationships are breaking down all the time. The infrastructure of society is breaking down all the time. We do have that in part, and where you touch it, you know about it. Let me just give you one really, really simple and silly example. But, but our daughter Rihanna's just gone off to do a, a year, FP year. She went on Thursday, and it's all going really well. Um, and, uh, but one of the reasons that we, we, I got involved in sort of trying to help all of that kind of thing was when you get to 18 now, or 16, 17, 18, there's actually not much careers advice in school. So there's no guarantee that if you need to make a decision about your future, there's no one place you can go to get that kind of help. In the past, I mean, when I was at school, it's quite a long time ago now, but when I was at school, I remember going to the careers office and talking to people, and they said, in fact, I think it was through the careers office that I got my job. Yeah, and talking to people, and you get in career, and every school had a careers officer, you could go in there and say, what do you want to be? I want to be a doctor, and da 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 Well, you're not going to be a doctor, are you, Owen? So you can be this, <laughs> yeah? That's what they used to say to me. You're not going to be a... Well, they didn't really say that to me, but I knew I wasn't going to be a doctor. I wanted to be a footballer, and I wasn't going to be a footballer either. <laughs> but today, you would find it hard to get careers advice, unless you found a teacher who was particularly keen to help, or you had parents who were particularly keen to help. Um, otherwise, you're just going to hang around, you know, because your, your parents didn't have careers advice and you don't know where to go for careers advice. It's a really little example of the infrastructure in societies. They're just breaking down. They're not there anymore in the way that they once were. And strife and conflict abound. So lawsuits, legal quarrels... This is what it says in Jeremiah 22. Speaking of Jehoiakim, it says, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labour. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood and on oppression and extortion. That was the king. That was what he was doing. And Habakkuk saying, why aren't you intervening, God? Why are you standing by and watching? All Habakkuk wanted was to see the wicked punished. Now, there are two things here. First of all, he's looking at the nation of Judah, which he's a part of, and he's seeing their injustice. That's what he's looking at at the moment. So the result of all of this, as Habakkuk says, the law's paralysed, justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, which means the righteous have nowhere to go. Yeah? If you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the one righteous person in Sodom and Gomorrah was Lot. And when Lot says to his sons-in-law... You need to clear out here because God is going to punish this city because of its unrighteousness. They laugh at him like he's joking. So righteousness is hemmed in. It's made to look like foolishness. What, do you still think those things? We've moved on from there. Nobody thinks that anymore. The world has moved on. No, righteousness is made to look like foolishness. It's hemmed in. It can't operate. Habakkuk wasn't the only righteous person left. But there's not a lot that they can do. The whole system has broken down. It's full of corruption. A king abuses his power. Society is in ruins. And God appears to tolerate it.
You see, this raises questions for us. That PowerPoint that we looked at earlier was uh, put together by, uh, by Georgia and John's help, and I'm very grateful to them. But I can tell you this. It wouldn't have taken Georgia long to find images. Yeah? Because there are so many. There are so many things that point to injustice, corruption, evil in our world. It would not have taken long to find the images. They're just there. I read this quote this week on the BBC News. It said, uh, in 2010, a Cambridge professor, Nicholas Boyle, said a great event in the year 2014 would be pivotal in determining whether the 21st century would bring peace and prosperity or war and poverty. And then what it did on that article is it listed all the events that are going on in this year. And it was long. It was a long article. It listed all the things that even if one of them were happening, it would be headline news all the time. But it listed loads of them. It listed the escalation of the Israel and Palestinian conflict, the rise of the Islamic State, which even many Muslims fear. You know, Iran are thinking about, do we go, do we go in, in, into partnership with the US in order to deal with this? Because we see how problematic this thing could be to us. It listed, you know, that, that rise in Syria and northern Iraq, increasing tensions in eastern Ukraine. There's a war brewing. And I'm not trying to be funny or be in de- but there's a potential war brewing. The Ebola crisis in, in West Africa, where, where the, what's the great fear there is we don't yet have a vaccination for something. Yeah? Imagine that there's something, there's, there's a killer, there's a killer disease on the loose. You, you see this in movies, don't you? But no, it's real. There's a killer disease on the loose and there's not actually a vaccination for it. You begin to worry, you think, oh my goodness. So what do you do? Well, we can sort of make you comfortable. The kidnap of those, we don't read about it now, but still those 200 girls in Nigeria are missing. Some of them have escaped, but most of them are still missing. In recent months, you see high-profile rape and murder cases in India. And in our nation, we see the poor and the vulnerable being squeezed. Hence the rise of things like food bank. The abuse I talked about of those girls. The tragic, crazy beheading of an 82-year-old grandmother in London. You think, God, what is going on in the world? For some of us, that suffering affects us. And it affects us more than if it was me suffering. We're like, oh God, what is going on in the world? I thought you were a good God. I thought you were a powerful God. What is happening in the world? And we wonder, why doesn't he respond? Because we say to ourselves, if I had the power to do something, I would. If I had the power, I I would change that. For some of us, it rocks our faith. Some of us, we just choose to ignore it because we know it would rock our faith if we thought about it. It changes how we view God and how we respond. And part of this is related to the fact that we are very individualistic in how we think about the world. So we have a paradigm which consists of me and how I view things, and that determines how things are. So Lord Carey, who's the former Archbishop of Canterbury, has changed his view of assisted suicide because of the suffering of people. Because of the immense suffering individuals. Now I'm not trying to decry the suffering of people, but to change, say, your perspective on God, your view of what God says, 
because of individual suffering. It becomes a challenge. Habakkuk doesn't do that. His faith in God is tested during this time, but by the end it is stronger, not weaker. And my prayer is that our faith, though tested in these times, might be stronger, not weaker. But let's be honest, some of us get stuck here. We get stuck with that question, God, why do you tolerate wrong? Yeah? I don't know where, to, I just keep bouncing off of it because I don't know where to go with it. I don't know what to do with it. I don't, I don't, there's not a book that seems to answer all those questions. Whenever I speak to Christians, they give me an answer that sort of comes out of another book. Um, not necessarily the Bible, they just come up with there's a list of, list of thoughts. We get stuck there. So what is Habakkuk's response? Because the reason we're looking at this is because Habakkuk doesn't respond how we normally respond. And he responds in such a way that I think it can help us. So what Habakkuk teaches us, even in these first few verses, is key to us even beginning to take the first steps of a journey of faith, deeper faith. Habakkuk's prayer is one many of us don't engage with, but it's the kind of prayer that we must engage with. Yeah? Those first few verses he prays at the beginning of Habakkuk are what would be called a lament. A lament. Now, a lament is a kind of prayer. There are different kinds of prayers. We've, we've just done a whole series on prayer and, and, and how you pray. And also, we did, we did a series on evangelism. We said, look, that begins with prayer. And one of the main ways of praying that we often talk about is intercession, where you're, you're praying on behalf of others. And you're praying and you're praying and you're, and you're asking God um, that he might move in other people's lives. And, and we're praying particularly that, that God might save our friends and our neighbours and the people that we know. And I want to encourage you to keep praying those prayers. You must. You must keep praying those prayers if you want to see God break through into their lives. And that you're not just a Christian alongside people, but actually you're, you're, you're encouraging them. And I'm provoked in that. I'm particularly provoked by, by my daughter Yasmin, who's regularly doing that kind of thing. And she just provokes me all the time. Dad, are you praying? What are you doing? I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> there are many different kinds of prayers, but there is this prayer that we must also learn, and it's the lament. And this is what it says. This is a, a definition I found. Lament is larger than feeling sorry that you've sinned. It encompasses pain, hurt, confusion, anger, betrayal, despair and injustice it goes beyond your personal relationships to consider how all creation groans to be restored to God so lament is much deeper than just my own little prayers and there is something in me that groans for God to restore the world to how he would have it be but I live in a world that has not yet been restored. And so do you know what? I put it this way. So God gives us this gift of being able to lament, being able to pray, pray deep in our soul, even though we don't have an answer, even though we don't know the why, the answer to the why question, he gives us that ability. You see, Jesus laments. On the cross, he takes Psalm 22 and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Do you know what? God never answers that prayer. Jesus asks the, the why question. Why? I don't get it. Why have you forsaken me? God never answers that prayer. But Jesus understood that lament was the only true response of faith to the brokenness and fallenness of the world. Take lament out. Handling the brokenness and fallenness of the world is very, very difficult. It's difficult anyway. But it's very difficult if you take this ability out, this gift out. It provides the only trustworthy bridge to God across the deep, seismic quaking of our lives. The ability to lament, to question, to pray, to watch and to wait are gifts from God. They're gifts that he gives us believers. Use them. They provide a pathway for honest faith and faithful conversation with God, which is what Habakkuk has in difficult and horrible times. This, in turn, brings hope. It brings hope. A third of the Psalms are laments. The book of Job is is a lament. There's even a book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's a bit of a hint. Yeah, Lamenting is in there, folks. When you don't understand, pray. And I don't just mean pray points. God, tell me why. Just pray. You just pray deep prayers. So that's how Habakkuk responds. He responds to seeing all this going on. He responds with a lament. So how does God respond? How does God respond to Habakkuk? Well, we're going to look at his specific response next week. But before he even responds, he's already begun to answer. Let me explain. God is judging Judah. Yeah? We'll find that out next week. He's judging them. And in many ways, it's shocking that the God of all the earth, the creator, holy God of the Bible, allows Habakkuk to address him in the way that he does. There are people on earth I wouldn't address in the way that Habakkuk addresses God. I wouldn't go to the Queen. Why? How long? I'd never say that. If I met Queen Elizabeth II, I would be very careful about what I said. I wouldn't just run up to her and start mouthing off. Yeah? Because other people might say, let's take this man away. There are some problems here. In other faiths and even in parts of Christianity, we have made God so holy out there, up there, distant, that we wouldn't dream of speaking to him like this. It wouldn't occur to us that we could speak to God in the way Habakkuk speaks to God. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? You don't speak to God. You don't even speak to your dad like that. So God, even by allowing the conversation is telling us something. In many ways, that in itself is shocking. How can he address him in that way? He starts this conversation with God and he makes it very personal. Why do you allow me to look on injustice? Very personal. Behind that questioning, there's a number of things that Habakkuk believes about God. And one of the questions we have to ask later on is, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about God that makes you question or not question? But Habakkuk believes God to be personal. 
Remember, God at this point is distant. He's only understood or experienced through the tabernacle, through the temple, and yet Habakkuk believes God to be personal. He engages with him directly. He believes God is alive and that he hears him. He's not shouting into the air. He believes that God is close. He knows what's going on. He's not right out there, unable to understand what was actually going on. I don't know. He believes that he's close, that God knows. And he believes that he's interested. If Habakkuk didn't believe God was interested, why would you go to God? If you had a problem, you wouldn't go to somebody who you didn't think was interested. Or if you didn't think they could help. You know, if I have a problem, I'm not going to necessarily go to Daisy, my youngest, and say, Daisy, there are these big things going on, and I need you. Oh, we're not going to do that. You go to where you think you're going to get help. So he believes these things about God, and God allows that to happen. He allows it. Remember, God is powerful. He could have done things about that if he didn't think that was right. He allows it to happen. The next thing we can see is that Habakkuk, there is a need, when you're in this kind of situation that Habakkuk's in, or that we're in, the need to be embraced. The need to be embraced. You see, the name Habakkuk means embrace. It means a way of keeping warm when there is no shelter. It means comfort in times of distress. You see, God allowed a conversation with Habakkuk. And by allowing that conversation, he embraced the questions of Habakkuk. And embracing the questions of Habakkuk, he embraced Habakkuk. God embraced Habakkuk through his questions. He had somewhere to take them. Now this throws it into even more confusion for us because the truth is even those questions themselves that Habakkuk has come from God. It was God that stirred him to ask those questions. Habakkuk is not directing his frustration and confusion at the people. He's not condemning the people, but he's looking to God. It's as though God wanted the dialogue. Not just for them, but so thank God for us that we might read such an account of how God deals with those kinds of questions 2,000 years later. You see, in the purposes and plans of God, nothing happens by chance. Nothing. Nothing happens by chance. Now, that might raise questions, but we have to just stick with that reality. Nothing happens by chance. Because if things happen by chance, it means God's not really in control. But nothing happens by chance. And yet we were meant to discover the truths of the book of Habakkuk. So we would know that God embraces and comforts us at times of tragic difficulty and stress. That our faith would be strengthened and deepened because of it. That simply by being strengthened and deepened in our faith, we become a witness to the world because our way of handling the situation is very different. That's a witness. Witness isn't just, oh, I have to tell them about Jesus and the five imperatives that it means to become a Christian. No. Witness is how you live. It's how you respond. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this man, Habakkuk. Are you ready for the journey of faith that it will take us on? It's not straightforward, 
And it's not easy. And in truth, it gets worse before it gets better. But it does get better. The only answer to why does God tolerate evil is not simply an explanation. Oh, okay, there are three reasons. It's the process of engaging with whatever raised that question. Lamenting helps us to do that. And it helps us to do it individually, but it also helps us to do it corporately. People's lament. Not just individuals. People's lament. Gatherings lament. Communities lament. Some of those pictures we saw there were of 9-11 and and the bombing in London, and the peoples lamented at that point. It wasn't just an individual thing. We can share pain together at the cross and through worship. It doesn't bring all the answers, but it does bring comfort in times of distress. Today we're going to share communion. I asked for us to do it at at the end, so we'll, we'll do it now. So where's Matt? Matt, do you want to come up I just want to ask this question what brings us to the table today the table of communion if you're if you're a Christian this morning what brings us to the table it is the hope in Jesus that we have yeah the fact that we have a hope the fact that he has asked us to do this in remembrance of him we take Uh, the the wine and the bread and they represent his blood and his body but you know what also brings us to the table because what this reminds us of it's our sin that brings us to the table you see much of the evil perpetrated in the world is caused by the sin of man I'm not sure you'll be surprised at that it's caused by the sin of man It's not just random. I mean, I talked about Jehoiakim and and what was going on in Judah at that time. A lot of it was caused by the king and his, his ways. But let me just ask some questions. Because we can sometimes think, oh yeah, those evil people committing sins out there. But how many of us have maybe coveted something that doesn't belong to us? And how many times do we sometimes want to take that thing and even maybe manipulate something. It doesn't belong to us, but we will take it. How many of us in our anger and jealousy have failed to help when we knew we could? How many of us have blamed God for our mistakes? We've looked to him and we've said, that hasn't happened because of you, when actually it's not happened because of us. Because as we were reminded earlier, if you follow his way, like the people did at Jericho, or like Gideon did, he can do amazing things. How many of us have got God to do things our way, or we've tried to, and then when he hasn't engaged, we've gone, God, you, you said that. How many of us have walked past suffering? You see, the evil and the suffering in the world... We all contribute to it. It's not there's just one or two evil people. We all contribute to it. And we all would continue to contribute to it, but for one thing. And that thing is the cross. 
You have no power. I have no power in myself to free myself of sin. I have no power in myself to overcome pride or selfishness or jealousy or covetousness. I have no power whatsoever to do that. I can pretend, I can try, but I really have no power to do it. The only way I overcome is I come to the cross. The only way the world overcomes is it comes to the cross. The only way I can deal with this stuff that I see on the outside but I'm powerless to do anything on the inside is I come to, I come to the cross. I come to Jesus. He enables me to cope with it because he's given me gifts like being able to lament, like being able to question, like being able to shout, oh Lord, how long? It's legitimate. It's reasonable. So as we come to the table this morning, I want us to come aware of our own sin, not judging others and their sin, aware of our own sin, but also aware that as you come to the table, your sins have been forgiven. You've been set free. That the cross was the place where it was all dealt with and we are being asked to remember this. And it gives us hope. It helps us in times of need. So as we sing together, we're just going to invite you to come and then once we've done that, we're just going to, say a psalm together that will go up on the screen in a moment so why don't we stand and I'm going to pray and then we'll worship and we'll come Father we can't deny that you haven't been present with us this morning and Lord even as Phil read out right at the beginning today do not harden your hearts do not harden your hearts allow him to speak and so God, I want to pray that even in these moments, just as you embraced Habakkuk, I pray that today some might find your embrace where they need comfort from distress and difficulty, from sickness and pain. May they find it this morning, O God, because you embrace. And Father, I thank you for the hope of the gospel. I thank you that this meal represents for us hope. It represents us the only power over sin. And so, Father, I pray that we would embrace that. That just as you embrace us, we would embrace you. And there we would find comfort and protection. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.